My name is Ray Park. You may know me as playing Darth Maul in Phantom Menace, Clone Wars, and also Solo and Star Wars Story. You're listening to Star Wars Stuff Podcast, the force is strong with you all. And remember, sit walk. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, letting you all know you are listening to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Wishing everybody all the best, and may the force be with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. My name is David. I'm Mason. And this is where we talk all things Star Wars. And to start off today's podcast, we do have a bit of somber news. Um, Alan Ladd Jr., we found out today, passed away. And if you don't know who he is, he's one of the main catalysts for Star Wars in 1977 to actually be released in theaters to the public. He was the um, president of 20th Century Fox. And he had a very, very long and storied career in Hollywood. His father was actually a famous actor. And he started off as an agent, I believe, then became a producer, then became a studio head with 20th Century Fox. He saw American Graffiti, which was directed by George Lucas, and he was blown away. He asked George Lucas if he had anything else in the tank, anything else he was thinking of creating. And George Lucas simply said, yeah, he's like, I got this kind of space opera thing that I'm thinking about. Um, it's pretty long. It's it's very vast. And it, there's a huge script. It's going to cost a lot of money. And Alan Ladd just basically greenlit it right there. And of course, everyone at 20th Century Fox was like, nah, no one's ever really done this before. And it's going to cost a lot of money. And plus, we don't understand what the script is talking about. It's talking about dogs flying spaceships and stuff. We don't know what that means, what it is. But Alan Ladd believed in it. He believed in the talent. Um, if you watch the Empire of Dreams documentary, it's on Disney Plus right now. You'll see Alan Ladd Jr. speak about his experience with trying to get Star Wars made and... He argued with with other members of the board at 20th Century Fox about money, getting money for Star Wars, uh, giving them enough time to to finish George Lucas's vision of the original Star Wars. And he was always on George Lucas's side and trying to get money for for a project is something that's very, very difficult. You have to convince Multiple people, if you're lucky, just one person. That one person for Star Wars was Alan Ladd Jr. And, I mean, it's... He has one of the most important roles. If he if he did not say yes, and he, if he did not believe in George Lucas, we wouldn't be here today talking about Star Wars. Star Wars very well might not have existed. They were He was the only person to say yes. It, it really is impressive. Um because the first thing that I want to pull it to in parallel to, obviously, um, and it's something that's paralleled a lot, uh, is like George Lucas and uh, Disney, right? Like Walt Disney, like um, the parallel between them and their lives between coming up with this fantastical idea that nobody believes in and going forward and just being persistent and being persistent and going through the stress of trying to create this vision, put it all together, get money for it, funding, put a team of people together, and then make this project happen and just be told, no, 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 it's not going to work, not going to work. 
to being what is now one of the biggest franchises in I mean not just not just the United States because we all know that Star Wars and Disney are like pop culture icons for the United States. They're they're part of our culture, they're part of our our history here, but a worldwide phenomena that people across the globe can get into is just so impressive. Yeah, as a as an agent, as a producer, as a studio head, um, he actually founded his own uh, producing company in the in the Lad Company, I believe, and they produce Blade Runner. They produce Chariots of Fire. Um, they produce Blade Runner. Yeah, oh, no kidding. Um, he's he had a part and many many other super huge pop cultural event films: a Rocky Horror Picture Show, Braveheart. Yeah. Um, I mean, the list pretty much goes on and on. So he recorded 150 Oscar nominations. Wow. And he won 50 Academy Awards. So, yeah, he was, he was, he's definitely Hollywood royalty. And he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well. That's something I learned today. But yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys that, I mean, he believed in the talent. I mean, as a creator, that's, that's something you're dreaming of to actually find, especially in Hollywood, finding someone that believes in your talent. And he he wasn't a part of the creative team, but he could spot talent. And he definitely did do that for George Lucas. And it always seems that that's one of the most important things, right? It's being able to to have an eye for talent and then being able to look at that person and go, um, can you make this happen and take a risk on them? I feel like is always where some of our biggest successful cultural cornerstones come from. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And you, you hear it all the time today that there's no one out there in Hollywood that's, that's allowing directors with vision to, to just have a hundred percent of their vision on screen. You hear about studios meddling with mm-hmm. projects and cutting out certain things for American graffiti. I think the studio cut out 15 minutes or something. Wow. And that made George Lucas furious. And he pretty much had it with studios up at that point. But Alan Ladd Jr. gave George Lucas total freedom to, to create Star Wars. And he told George Lucas to his face, he's like, I don't understand Star Wars. I don't understand what you're doing. But I think you're talented. And I believe in you. And that's that's what creators need to hear. And yeah, the rest is history, man. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like it's art. And if you try to uh, pull away from the artist's vision, then you're pulling away from the entire point of the originality of a piece, right? Mm-hmm. Movies aren't, movies will never be exempt to that. Yeah. And I have yeah. a quote here uh, from George Lucas um, speaking with Alan Ladd Jr. He said, the only meeting I had with Laddie about the script, they called him Laddie as a nickname. He said, look, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, but I trust you. Go ahead and make it. That was just honest. I mean, it was a crazy movie. Now you can see it, know what it is. But before you could see it, there wasn't anything like it. You couldn't explain it. You know, it was like this furry dog driving a spaceship. I mean, what is that? So (laughs) I know George Lucas always loves to make reference about dogs flying spaceships. (laughs) <laughs> in, his, in his later years but yeah i mean that's just to go through with that and to, to basically put his career on the line 
I mean, it it just paid off so huge. I mean, and, I I believe that documentary talked about um, how he almost like Vlad was almost fired from his job, like got pushed out of Fox. Yeah, yeah, he essentially was. He was fighting so much with yeah, executives. With all the politics and the fact that George Lucas didn't want to put the um, the credits at the beginning of the movies. He wanted to just have them at the end, which was tradition. Because, I mean, he started that with Star Wars and then continued it with The Empire Strikes Back and so on. And that's all in the Empire Dreams documentary where he had to pay off all the fines personally to 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 kind of like keep Urban Kirshner safe. And of course, Richard Marquand was not in the guild. So otherwise Steven Spielberg would have directed the return of the Jedi. So we would have had a Steven Spielberg star Wars film. That's crazy. We'll get to see that. But yeah, at that point, Alan Ladd <laughs> Jr. Basically had, had an arguing match, I believe in a boardroom and he just turned around and said, it's going to be the greatest movie of all time and walked out and, started his own production company and went on to great success. And his daughter actually kind of followed in uh, the show business footsteps. And she actually created a documentary about her father. And it's, I believe it's called Laddie and you can, you can rent it or buy it on YouTube, I believe on Google play. And I've heard some people say that sometimes it's on Hulu. Sometimes it's on Amazon prime where you can watch it, but and it's very Star Wars heavily, heavy, evidently. So I definitely want to check that out. I've never seen it before, but I know how important that guy was to uh, how instrumental he was to get Star Wars made. And I mean, just think about a world without Star Wars. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to be in that world. I mean, <laughs> think about the countless I mean, the countless uh, money that was made. Be careful with the energy you put out there. Our, our entire <laughs> podcast exists because of this one man. Yeah, pretty much. What would we be talking about right now? I don't know. Maybe welcome Middle Earth? Indiana, welcome to the Indiana <laughs> and Jones Stuff podcast. Well, see, I mean, if Star Wars doesn't get made, does Indiana Jones get made? Because, I mean, that made Harrison Ford a, a superstar. If Star Wars doesn't get made, does a lot of other... Uh, like space themed films get made yeah. does star trek become as successful as it does does uh stargate become as successful as it does you know well hollywood special effects altogether i mean that that whole industry was kind of pioneered by by george lucas with the pixar computer i mean that's from george lucas yeah pixar originated from him so it's yeah i just want to say yeah We'll remember you always, Alan Ladd Jr. And rest in peace. And thanks for thanks for everything. I mean, this. I mean, it, it cannot be understated how important he is in Star Wars history. So, and he was also a year younger than my dad too. So, oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm still learning about him. Obviously, I'm I'm also learning alongside with maybe some of our audience members, but I, I will say this at much, you know, um, I can't give enough respect or attention or praise to the man who allowed um, such a unifier of people to exist as a film as Star Wars does. Uh, just the way that Star Wars brings people together is incredible it always boggles my mind 
how people can just sit down across the world and collectively agree like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. I love watching the Millennium Falcon fly fly through the Death Star Trench. and <sighs> Yeah, that's the genius it's of Star Wars right there. One man was able to fight to make that dream come true, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it, it's it's incredible. And it's not just George Lucas. I mean, like Alan Ladd Jr., um, like Phil Tippett. I mean, all these people contributed heavily to to what started it all. But um, we are live streaming right now on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe, of course. Hit that like button. And we have a question from Merrick Walwood. He's asking, what is your opinion on the Timothy Zahn's most recent Thrawn trilogy? Mason, are you caught up with that? No, I'm so sorry. I failed you. I'm reading as fast as I can. I will put that question down somewhere. Uh, is there anywhere I can write this down or should I just use a notepad? And Merrick, I promise you that I will get to that question. Uh, I will say, however, that I have a lot of friends that have read it. Um, they love it. Thrawn, great villain. Um I've been told it goes a lot into the the sort of backstory of the Chiss and Thrawn's motivations, which seems to be, uh, and I haven't read the book yet, but it seems to be that Thrawn is very much a man that is motivated for his people, the success of his people or his family. Um, and we get to see a much deeper and darker look of what one of the scariest admirals of the Empire is fighting for, besides just law and order like he's completely different from Tarkin and it's those motivations I think that make Thrawn such a great character but I will get back to you on that I promise <laughs> yeah so Crash Test Wookiee saying he read the first one and it's good yeah I've been I've been told the first one is good I've been told the second one is good I think and I've been told the third one was all right but I'm, I'm gonna read them in form of opinion of my own of course so what was the last Star Wars book that you did read? Currently, I am reading through... I can remember the name of it. Uh, Light of the Jedi. Okay. So I just read Into the Darkness recently. Um, I'm reading Light of the Jedi. And once I finish this, I'll be... I don't know. I'll find another one to read. Maybe I'll start Thrawn next. Maybe... Maybe, I don't know. We'll get a plan put together for this. Yeah, I think Light of the Jedi was the first High Republic book release. And then yeah, Into the it, Darkness was the second. It was. Oh my gosh. I have so much praise for the High Republic. Um, I have so much praise. I think people are going to love it. Uh, to me, it feels like high republic is everything that i've loved about the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy just put together you have like have all these new like neo retro stuff going on with the jedi being at the height of their power and it's like how star wars is already in a galaxy a long time ago this feels like a longer time ago but things are kind of better in a weird like fantasy fashion like how in most fantasy uh, genres, like the older the magic gets, the more powerful it gets. I feel like it's one slow step backward towards the older public where it's basically, you know, these gods fighting each other. Um, High Republic still feels focused on being very powerful and connected with the force. 
and the ideas of the force while still telling these really emotional stories of human triumph and, and failures. Yeah, they are. Uh, there's rumors out there that High Republic stuff is on the way in regards to TV film. So it, it looks like Lucasfilm is investing. We're getting a High Republic game, right? Is that the case? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I haven't heard think... anything in regards to that. But I know Acolyte happens towards the end of the High Republic era. Acolyte. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I mean, end of the High Republic. I think... I don't know when that comes out, but we're, I think we're currently in phase two of them releasing right. High Republic right now. Right. So they'll be right. coming out with some more books this year. Um, and then they'll move into phase three and probably phase three is where Acolyte is probably going to take place around. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, that, that time period is ripe for a young Palpatine and maybe a Darth Plagueis as well. I We've already everyone's kind of hoping for seen or heard of a uh, young grandmaster yoda it's kind of mm-hmm. funny um because i think in this time in the early high republic yoda is out doing missions whenever all this stuff goes down in the galaxy with the nile and um the uh i can't remember what it's called but basically there's an incident that happens where uh i don't want to i don't want to say too much and spoil it without a spoiler warning but uh, a ship like jumps into hyperspace or comes out of hyperspace and like scatters across the galaxy at like light speed and right. starts destroying planets and causing mayhem and stuff. Um, and that's, that's a big, big issue that the Jedi need to deal with, you know, especially right. as of the peace and them not really having a quote unquote standing army to help deal with this. It's, it's definitely interesting seeing how they go about it with just the Jedi Knights at their disposal. So what was the last book you completed for Star Wars? Uh, Into the Dark. Okay. Uh, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that one whatsoever. (laughs) Because I stopped right after Light of the Jedi. Oh, God, it's so good. It was a really good book. Um, It's like two characters riding like a speeder bike, right? On the front cover. Mm, Something like that. I do not believe so. Let me let me pull it up here on. Or is that the Claudia Gray novel? I believe it is a Claudia. Gray okay, novel. okay, that's a that's a different. I think that's a third or fourth one in phase one. Okay. Yeah, I'm not reading them particular in order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So into the dark um, follows. Oh man, I read it so long ago. Um, it follows uh, essentially a a young apprentice. Um, it it follows a young apprentice of Jora Molly. I believe, who was one of the key proponents in the uh, book I'm just reading now. One of the basically key Jedi masters in the big hyperspace collapse event. Um, And it's him being on his own little separate side adventure while that's going on and discovering um, basically this sort of infestation type, flood type bad guy that's very big deal i can't remember what their thing was they they were able to live or revive themselves via like the dark side of the forest or something like that that's another thing i'll have to put notes together for yeah so is the main villain is it uh marcion row or marcion row marcion row yeah so is that how you pronounce it 
Yeah, Marcion Monroe. Because I've heard people say Marcion as well. At I least in the audiobooks, the official audiobooks, it's pronounced Marcion. Okay, okay. So, yeah, he's sort of the leader of the Nile. And the Nile is basically these... Um, oh, God, it's so hard to describe all of it. It's so much to put together. Like barbarian once. Viking type? Yeah, they're more like barbarian-style pirates. It's almost like yeah. they're coming in on these raiding ships. And they they specialize in these brutal warfare tactics where they kind of just combine a bunch of ships together um, and a bunch of those ships will like split off from each other. It's almost like building block ships and they will like latch on and capture other ships to add to their fleet, their tempest. Um, And the way that they go through like breaching these ships and um, getting through and subduing the, the crew for whatever nefarious purposes it is, is they use gas. They use a lot of gas based weaponry. They use uh, sleeping gas. And they'll basically go in, knock the people out, take them prisoner, take their ship, and then take everything that belongs inside of it. And they're they're very big villains. It's sort of been an interesting thing to read about because, like, in the book, the Nile don't seem to be that big. It's even quoted that they're really not that big of a threat that they couldn't stand up to the Jedi. Mm-hmm. But what they have going for them are these special path engines that allow them to So you know how there are like main hyperlanes that mm-hmm. are used without the galaxy in star Wars. Right. It basically allows them to subvert those hyperlanes and create their own mini hyperlanes between things, giving them this effect that they're able to be, anywhere and everywhere at once mm. wherever they want to be and there's some some mystery and in, in intrigue in there that i have yet to solve as to how they do that but it's all connected back to this one person um who was the original like person to guide them through the paths it's it's really fascinating but that I don't want to say I don't want to say too much because, again, I'll I'll do a whole do a whole thing about that. Yeah, on our Patreon. Spoiler. Yeah, there'll be spoiler warnings and everything. Yeah, we went through the entire Light of the Jedi on Patreon um, a while back when it came out, and it was pretty fascinating. It it was really for me reading it. I think the best way I think to absorb the information was to actually hear it on Audible. And also follow along with the book. And I think I absorbed the most that way. But now it's been kind of a while and I haven't thought about it that much. But it got pretty gruesome at some points. Yeah. Uh, um, that's another thing that I have a, a lot of high praise for the High Republic. Um, I feel like because they're in their book phase right now, they can get away with doing a lot more adult-centric or young adult-centric content. But one of the things they go into and talk about in uh, Into the Dark is like sex and how the Jedi view sex and in that time period and, you know, what romantic relationships look like, because there's a little bit of a will they won't they sort of thing going on Mm -hmm. between two of the characters, one of them being the Jedi. Um, And I think that's really bold for. uh really bold for the author Claudia Gray to sort of 
step into and acknowledge, especially so early on. Yeah, Claudia yeah. Gray's from like the young adult novel world, and I think she's kind of used to it. I think she's also the most praised Star Wars author at this point. Um, yeah, because she did Lost Stars, which, which have you read that? Book? I have not. My okay. uh, my friend Zach, he has read Lost Stars. That's the romance novel between the the people that are like the Imperial and the Republic pilots. Yeah, yeah, it was. I've heard it would make for a it. great, great Disney Plus show, I think, because you would see elements of the original trilogy stuff from a different point of view. And oh, yeah, I think I think that's like the number one novel. Um, before That's... the High Republic came out, I think that was like the best, the best novel that that Disney Star Wars had created at that point. So, but yeah, it's, it's I recommend if if you want to start off point, start off by reading that or listening to it on Audible because it's it's really really good. Maybe I'll I don't know maybe I'll do that next maybe I'll I don't know there's so many books I gotta read there's so many Star Wars books <laughs> thank you Audible but stop stop putting them all up there immediately yeah man there, there is a lot do you know how many hours twelve hours is <laughs> it's twelve hours of my life yeah I mean I Ugh. I tried listening to the first of the Thrawn the new Thrawn trilogy and it was tough for me man it was really tough. It oh, was really? very hard to get through. Just a it, dense. Book. Well, it was very straightforward. There, there was not a there was not a lot of detail that I could associate to, and there was a lot of different character names that I I wasn't familiar with, and it was tough mm-hmm. trying to figure out. Was it sort of like Dune, where they kind of just throw a whole bunch well, of stuff? I mean, at I know you the character like, names. All right, whatever Dune, sticks, though. sticks. <laughs> I, yeah, I know all the, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know enough of Dune to stay, to hang with Dune, but. Yeah, with all of the different Chiss characters and then the rivals. And, I mean, it seemed like it went very hardcore into Chiss technology and their ships and their strategy and people that were being referenced that I had no idea who they were. So it was it was kind of rough, and I kind of stopped listening to it because I was like, man, this is just almost like a waste of time because I'm not quite sure. Yeah, not and I was... And what I was doing was I was actually working simultaneously. So I was listening to it in the car and trying to like comprehend it all. And yeah, it, it didn't yeah, work out. That's the hardest part. It's so hard to listen to audiobooks in the car, especially <laughs> when you live in a big city because, oh man, yeah. people. It's like try uh, not to die. Yeah, exactly. But try not, try to avoid oncoming traffic. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, that, that's my problem. I just don't have enough time to to actually sit down and read something that I mean, like the Thrawn trilogy, it, it, there's a lot of stuff that's in there that I'm just not too familiar with. Yeah. That's why I feel like uh, it's so much like, ah, I want There's so much I love about the books. There's so much I want to talk about right now, but David, I say this in the nicest way possible. I just don't remember. My brain is just not that big. There's just <laughs> so much packed into a book. Like, yeah, you can talk about uh, the Empire Strikes Back and the assault on Echo Base and then, yeah. um, uh, you know, Luke going to, to Dagobah, I think, right? Is that Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, Dagobah. Going to Dagobah, yeah. And then um, everything that goes on in that. Like, there's so many, like, little small memorable moments that you can pull up and be like, oh, yeah, I know about that. But with a book, it's like, 
Ah, yes. Here's my list of a thousand favorite things that I brought up. Yeah, for me personally, watching the original trilogy on VHS constantly, we didn't have cable at some points of our lives, so we would just re-watch Star Wars, you know? And someday, <laughs> I mean, before, like, marathoning was a thing, I would marathon Star Wars. I would watch Star Wars, I'd put that tape in, and then it's like, okay, well, after this, I'm going to get through Empire Strikes Back to get to Return of the Jedi. Because as a kid, I wasn't a huge fan of Empire. Right. I, I was a fan of, like, trying to, like, figure out how Yoda worked. But uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, that's that's an incredible puppet. But, um, and then watching the, the Vader-Luke fight scene, of course. Oh, so good. And then, yeah, then watching... I'm watching his hand get chopped off. I would try and study that a lot too. But of course we have like these huge CRT TVs, you know, tube TVs and the, the definition wasn't that great, but yeah, man, that I watched those movies. I was thinking today when I was uh, picking up my daughter from school, I was like, if I was tasked with recreating the original trilogy, could I actually do it? How how much would it resemble what George Lucas created? <laughs> because it, it feels like it feels like I pretty much got most of it memorized, and a lot of well, it I think I've forgotten, you know, because I haven't watched them. Oh yeah, back to back to back in a long time. That's and that's the hard thing about like, especially doing what we do is like, there's there's so much you have to be able to there's so much lore and knowledge that you have to be able to pull up in a moment's notice. Like I'm sure I say so many wrong things, but. <laughs> that's the life right that's why we love star wars so much we can go back and rewatch it and have that replayability but i get what you're saying like yeah with a book you just you don't have that replayability if i want to if i want to do something about this this book i i want to honor it and i want to bring it up and and do it in the right way and that's taking down some cliff notes and disguising that point by point bullet by bullet i think it'd be a better format to to talk about it yeah, there's definitely a lot of Star Wars stuff. And I feel like chapter like by chapter would, would probably be better. Yeah, I feel like now that I've there's forgotten so more than a lot of people have ever known now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, there's. I believe there's a bit of casting news today for for Cassian and that series Andor. Um, oh, just called is there? Andor. I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited for that series. Yeah, so yeah, the website uh, bestofbulletin.com um, has announced that Rosalind Halstead is uh, cast in Andor, and apparently she's not a very well-known actress. Um, it looks like she, yeah, she is. Um, says Rosalind who? Uh, Halstead. Halstead. Yeah. The article says uh, she is an incredibly well-known actress, even in the United Kingdom. So her name may be unfamiliar to most readers, but my British readers may recognize her as she has starred in some quite popular British television series, such as The Trial of Christine Keeler, Holby City, uh, Weathering Heights, and Strangers. Weathering Heights is one that I've heard of. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I've heard of that too, but I've just heard the name. She even started in an episode of Sherlock, which establishes a connection to Andor directors Benjamin Karen and Toby Haynes, Black Mirror, Doctor Who, who both worked on the Sherlock series for BBC One. Outside of the character, um, 
name of, I guess her code name is Skulden's wife. No further details were revealed on the casting website. We also currently do not know who is playing the role of Skulden either and what his or her significance is to the series. That's interesting. Now, I wonder how much do we know about Cassie Nandor already? Is it pretty much little to none? Has he had um, any more information divulged in books or comics? Well, we do know. No, th- there's not much on that character. Great. Um, so I think everything is in Rogue One that we kind of have for this, as far as his bio. But I mean, that famous line that he says, he's like been in this war for since he was like four years old or something. Yeah. But um, in this war since I was 12, we don't all get to choose. Yeah, does he say 12? I said four. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, four could be correct if his parents died at an early age or something. I, I don't know. But yeah, what we know about the series and or it's going to be 12 episodes a season. And a season two has already been greenlit. Great. And it's it's wow. going to be a show run by Tony Gilroy, who kind of took over for Gareth Edwards and kind of finished off Rogue One. I mean, do we even know what planet he's from? Does he mention... Do you remember? No, 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 not, none of that. We know so, whatsoever. It sounds like we have a great opportunity to see brand new, more brand new spanking Star Wars content in the making. Like they have complete creative freedom and liberty to do whatever they want with Cassian Andor, which is great because he's already a well-established good character. I know a lot of people like Cassian Andor from Rogue One. And um, I loved his scenes that he was on screen when he was with Jen Erso, the way that he would, he has this ability to go back and forth with other iconic Star Wars characters. It's just, just really good. Yeah. And I'm I excited think, to see his journey and where that comes from. Yeah. I think Rogue One, I think universally is, is loved by every Star Wars fan. I don't think there's any kind of objection to what that movie is in the end. I mean, I've kind of got a little bit of everything that were adverse to it. I've met a couple people. Really? Um, so what was their objection to to it being something I think, they wanted to see? I think that there are just some people that don't necessarily like um like new things that are centered around the original trilogy because they have this idea of what it's supposed to be. Mm. If that makes sense. And I, I feel like that yeah. was most of the complaints. Um, I mean, I'm a big proponent for Solo. I loved Solo. I thought it was great. But I know a lot of people don't feel the same way. And I know a big part of that is because Harrison Ford was not Han Solo. Like, it was the casting choice for Han Solo. And I, I thought right. he did a great job. Solo, to me, was a movie that felt... Um, the most like Star Wars in a very long time. But anyway, going back to Rogue One... Uh, yeah, I, I loved Rogue One. I would love to see more series like Rogue One, more movies like Rogue One that really emphasizes the war aspect of Star Wars because at the end of the day, that is what it is. Like the Rebel Alliance starts out small and it's just this band of punks. But like when we get into Empire Strikes Back or even Return of the Jedi, like the Rebel Alliance is a well-established military fleet that are fighting toe-to-toe with the Empire. And I want to see more of what that looks like. How are they able to contest this on on an even footing? Yeah, it, it, it was very interesting the way that they kind of approached the rebellion 
and we're able to kind of show it's kind of not white or black, kind of a gray kind of area that they kind of worked in and how dirty war actually is. And and one of the great lines that Gareth Edwards gave us back at 2015 Celebration, I was lucky enough to be there in the audience. He said, it's called Star Wars. I mean, yeah, he, he really wanted to play up on the war aspect, and he, and he did. I mean, it, it seemed like a war film, and I totally agree with that. I mean, it's called Star Wars. Let's see how war affects everyone, and I mean, it's it's a parallel to human history and what what's going on right now. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. devastating. I mean, it's it's something you don't want to be a part of. I mean, it's I mean, I think a lot of people kind of romanticize World War Two a lot in video games and, and movies. Oh, and absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. But I mean, it's it's yeah, it's something you don't want to be a part of if, if yeah. you can. I mean, you just. I mean, that's that's one of the things every time that I attend, I the only time I hear the Star Spangled Banner is when I attend a sporting event. And the thing that I think of is the people that sacrifice their lives. That's all I think of. I don't think of any of the politics. I don't think of anything. I think about what if it was me that had to go through that sacrifice and people who lay down their lives doing and believing what was right, whether they wanted to or not. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like that's, that's the rebellion. That's the entire point of the rebellion. Whenever they say light the spark, it's because there are men and women of the rebellion that are laying down their lives, whether they want to or not to achieve a peaceful and better tomorrow. And that's, that's truly I think hits on one of the most selfless aspects of star Wars. And that that's something that a lot of people I think connect with. And that's why a lot of people love the rebellion as much as they do. And I think that's one of the big reasons why people love rogue one as much as they did was because they kind of understood it as a clear mission. And the fact that Kathleen Kennedy was one of the people that said, well, they're not going to make it right. And Gareth Edwards, I think was taken aback by that. And he was like, okay, well, that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course they're not going to make it. And I think when he was going to do the film, of course, it's owned by Disney. He figured that they were going to let them do that. But, of course, they did because we don't see them or hear about them in the original trilogy. So, right, yeah. I mean, and then to lead up right up to the very first film from 1977 was was just awesome. <sighs> I want a movie that's like Rogue One 2 that's just like a bunch of a team of Bothan spies. Yeah, that's going that, to get the plan for the Death Star 2. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where were all the Bothans? <laughs> and see, yeah, and see, I don't, we've never gotten a Bothan on screen. Apparently, there's a Bothan oh my gosh, in Return my of the mind. Jedi, but he's wearing a helmet. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. I haven't thought about that. We don't know like anything canonically about Bothan culture. Right, and that think. and that could be explored in Rogue Two. <laughs> Rogue, <laughs> yes, I'm calling it. That's my prediction for this podcast. Rogue Two, it's happening. I mean, yeah, I mean the 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 name and the title sounds kind of hokey, but ah, I mean, it could be played with. But yeah, I think we'll eventually see that happen. That see that mission happen on Disney Plus, which I think that's where you probably should put it because it, it's. 
Yeah. It might be kind of cheapening the whole concept of making a a standalone Star Wars film. I I, yeah. I mean they're creating Rogue Squadron, which is gonna drop next year in December. But we have they no can, idea what that's about. And we talked about that last time on the podcast. Definitely which, maybe get away with doing like a drop squad, like uh, almost like Halo at EST style of like just bopping spies, like going down to the mission area. I can see that. That would be pretty gnarly because I mean, Bothans look like camel people. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're humanoid, but they're completely hairy and they have faces like camels. It's It's weird. Yeah, I'm. I, I really want to see like what what part they played in um in the rebellion as a wider as a wider whole. I'm very curious about that side. Um, and Mon Mothma seemed like she was very close to him, and of course yeah. we have the actress Genevieve O'Reilly who's reprising a role in Andor. I mean, you might want to use her. I mean, you might want to do this Bothan storyline sooner than later because I mean, you you definitely want to use the same actress if possible so yeah i think oh, that's, yeah. that's one of that's sure one of that the stories be... we want to see done as quick as possible just like kenobi's being done i mean we still have you and mcgregor hayden christensen yeah it's like have those actors use them yeah because we have that whole like conundrum of trying to use luke skywalker and the mandalorian and that's kind of hotly debated yeah. too i mean yeah, have to use the deep fake technology. I know that's been a big uh, counterpoint, big point of contention for a lot of fans. Is like, do we really need this? Is this is this just fan service, or does he have a point as a greater whole within the series? I don't know. I guess that's yeah. Up to you. I'm, I, he, I don't think they're shoehorning him in at you all. I, I think he he makes sense. Um, I agree. How far but... they're going to take Luke Skywalker? In the in the Filoni verse, I don't know. I mean, I would love to see more of him, but of course, you do have people online that kind of complain about the whole thing. But I mean, for to me, be fair, it's... there there are people online that complain about pretty much everything. Right, right, that right. comes out in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, but but you do have some Star Wars fans who are like, it, they say it, enough is enough. It's like stop going back to Tatooine, stop showing Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, I love Tatooine. I, I love going back there. That feels like it's Star great. Wars to me. Every time I see Tatooine, it's like, ah, yes, a familiar place. Home. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. It's a desert planet with two suns, but I feel like I grew up there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like Star Wars. And yeah, of course, agreed. of course, Lucasfilm gave record players to some of their employees and on the sides of the case, it has logos of different different series. And a logo was revealed called Tales of the Jedi. And we don't know exactly what's that, what that's going to be. I hope it's going to be some type of, Tales of the Jedi. Jedi anthology series. I don't know. It could be something animated. We don't know. No, and speaking of animated, we haven't heard anything, I don't think, official or speculation in regards to Bad Batch Season 2. No, not yet. I'm watching Bad Batch season two very closely. We haven't got anything about that. I want, um, if we can, we can pause for a moment. I want Lando. Uh, I just want to say I'm willing to throw hands for the Lando series. I want Donald Glover back as Lando Calrissian. Um, and uh, that, that's it. I've said my piece. I've, so the guy that Lucasfilm so hired, Shamook, um, he deep faked Lando in one of his reels 
on Donald Glover's face. Okay. And uh, was it? I don't know. Maybe that's why Donald Glover hasn't officially signed on to play Lando. Because if they can deep fake Billy D. Williams's face, I mean, why even pay the money to get Donald Glover back when he can just have like a stand in and just deep fake him like they did with I Luke? Guess. See, I have a really interesting question about this deep fake technology. If I can just go into the world of acting, because a lot of like a lot of that stuff. Like the reason they have to get those actors back is because they have to be paid to use their likeness, right? It's just like how a voice actor, um, every time that you play something with their voice in it, you have to pay them a fee, right? You have to pay them uh, residuals. So I wonder if this deepfake technology now is going to create an issue with the actors union in which like you still have to pay the actor residuals for using their likeness, even though it's another actor playing. And yeah, I definitely. Wonder if at the end of the day, if you can justify the cost of that over just getting the, the initial actor for the price that they want. I wonder if that's going to spark some debate or if that has sparked debate already. Well, I mean, you, you can't use Billy D. Williams right now as a young Lando. I mean, he, it's, that won't work. Yeah, of course. Mean, of course. So, I mean, you have to... Either deep fake him or reconstruct him like they did with Rogue One with Tarkin. Right. And for me personally, I would definitely go the route of deep fake and just do the re-speecher technology like they did for Mark Hamill's voice. Because it sounded like Luke Skywalker from Return yeah. of the Jedi. I mean, it was spot yeah, it on. It sounded like Luke. Oh my gosh. So Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've got they've got that the voice stuff at least pretty much under control because we saw Tarkin in um was that was that rogue one yes was, tarkin was in rogue one right yeah um and he was pretty spot on like i i was fooled for a moment until i looked a little closer and i was like wait a minute I was yeah like, oh, a lot wow, of people that weren't tarkin. familiar with the, the whole technology were kind of fooled a lot of people thought okay well that's peter cushing but i mean he's he's been deceased for like since the 80s <laughs> Disney's finally figured out how to bring people back. My God. Yeah. And it was very interesting to hear Favreau kind of address the whole, like, we got to be careful with this technology speech on uh, one of the gallery episodes. I think it was the Luke Skywalker gallery episode. And yeah, I mean, I thought about that a long time ago when that movie wag the dog came out. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I don't it, think so. it came out in the nineties and it was about um, countries using blue screen to fake wars that were happening in their country. They're using blue screen technology at the time and compositing in people, wow. actors in a war. Yeah. But that wouldn't happen today, right? No. Yeah, absolutely not. Of course not. Yeah. You got people in their basements perfectly taking off Mark Hamill's face and putting it on, <laughs> on a Mandalorian Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> someone just flipped on their ham radio somewhere out there i felt it <laughs> you know i live right if you're a ham a radio user so when i was growing up i in the 90s i lived next to a guy that had a ham radio oh, no. and my my room was right next to his house so every time he flipped it on like the tv signals would scramble every time he flipped it on and i was like uh, that's funny yeah every single time this guy's using a ham radio next door. 
go over huge, ring his doorbell yeah, and give him a, a huge antenna his mind. in his backyard. Your mind. And I, I never knew quite exactly what it was until later on. And I was like, oh, he's trying to talk to his buddies. People across the world. Yeah. I actually was just talking to someone about that. Um, uh, I, I didn't I didn't understand what the premise behind using like uh, the ham radios were the long range frequency radios. And someone was like, oh, yeah, you just get on and you talk to people all around the world. It's it's pretty great. Like you'll meet some of the nicest people you've ever met on there. I was like, I'm real skeptical about that. I don't <laughs> I don't know if I buy that. But, I, you know, maybe that's just me buying into the stereotype of what a ham radio user is. Uh-uh. Yeah, it was but like anyways. the Internet before the Internet, basically. Yeah. Anyway, back to Star Wars. Uh, I, I do want to circle back really quick to the topic of war movies. Um, yeah. Because I've been meaning to say this all night and I keep forgetting to. <sighs> okay, so here it goes. I know we shouldn't be romanticizing the bad guy because obviously that completely defeats the purpose of of making them the villain, of making them the moral dilemma. But I know I'm not alone in this. I know there's other people that feel this way. I want to see a series about stormtroopers, kind of like how we had the scout troopers mm-hmm. in Mandalorian season two, where it's just going through the day-to-day life of what a stormtrooper is uh, and, and just like emphasizing that these are also people that are fighting for something that they believe in just as much. Or maybe they're not. Maybe that's not always the case. Maybe we see some other characters inside that series that's like, um, oh, yeah, no, like I lived on Lothal during, you know, the, the siege of the Empire or whatever, the blockade. Yeah empire and i was enslaved and forced into being a stormtrooper otherwise they were going to kill my family so now i'm fighting to make sure that my family has a life you know i would really love to see more of that yeah and yeah yeah i totally agree yeah I, see how the stormtroopers got recruited I, I we saw a little bit of that in solo but um to yeah, follow maybe yeah. like a almost like a band of brothers type of show in a way and that was my next segue whenever we talk about war movies um why can't we have something like fury that follows like a droid crew on an aat or like a a clone trooper crew inside of an atte like how cool would that be or like follow the daily lives of a walker crew um why can't we have a, a band of brothers or a saving private ryan that set place it can work in any one of the trilogies i'm sure yeah, I'm pretty sure all those great ideas have been pitched. It's just getting them actually green lit. Approved. Yeah. And I think the person that has the final say is Kathleen Kennedy. So I don't know where it stops, but I, I do know that John Knoll personally had to like set up a meeting to pitch Rogue One to her. And she loved it. And it, of course, it got green lit. And of course, the idea is by John Knoll, who's Star Wars royalty. And um, he also created Photoshop. Um, so, yeah, I think, and you, you look at Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder pitched a story to Lucasfilm, and they said, "No, we're not going to do that." And now he's making it for Netflix. Netflix. It's called Rebel Moon. Yeah, it's, wild, it's not isn't Star it? Wars, but <laughs> it's essentially the, <laughs> the story he pitched. Which that's how Star Wars got created. 
Yeah. George Lucas tried to buy the rights for Flash Gordon and they denied him. And he said, well, I'll just make it my own thing then. And he made up Star Wars. I uh, I mean, I can't think of a better better topic to be talking about, especially whenever we started this episode talking and sort of mourning um, Alan Ladd Jr. Is mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe now within Disney, Disney has always been a company to sort of try and put things out there and do things differently and take risks. Maybe we're going to see a big push from the fan base to try and get something made and maybe Kathleen Kennedy will take a risk and we'll end up with a whole series and line of like these war-based Star Wars movies. But I think, I think there needs to be, there needs to be a way of distinguishing that that's the type of movie that it's going to be because. Right. I don't think until the final say comes from a fan or from someone like Alan Ladd Jr. that had kind of like the foresight to see something that was going to be super successful. But mm-hmm. it feels like that, I mean, we're going to have to have like a fan in charge um, to actually get some of this stuff made. And I know it feels like they treat Star Wars like a really precious thing that they got, they got to make sure that they double and triple check what they're doing yeah. stays within canon. It kind of follows the rules that they've already set up since 2012 when they, when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's there's guidelines. There's a story group that has to kind of double check it in a way. And I know when JJ did his films, he basically ignored the prequels, and of course Ryan Johnson didn't do that. And you actually hear Luke Skywalker say Darth Sidious. Which was kind of like a shock to hear him say. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think that I thought that there was going to be a huge explosion of Star Wars content as far as like TV and film goes. And we really didn't get that initially. But I mean, you look back on it, and it's like, well, they, they really kind of just immediately started the sequel trilogy right away once they got the rights and they got that underway. And the original writer, Michael Arndt, he wanted to take years to write that script. And they're like, well, we don't got that time. So we're going to let you go and hire someone else. So yeah, we'll never know what that Michael Arndt script was going to be, but who knows? I, here's my hot take about the sequel trilogy. Um, it's a hot take because it's a good thing. Uh, I I could be convinced to be more into the sequel trilogy if it got supporting content. I love, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, I love the design work that they did for um, the sequel trilogy. I love the First Order. I love the look of the Resistance. I love the new X-Wings. Oh my God, I love the new X-Wings so much. I like the blaster rifles that they use. I like the outfits. All look so good. I love the First Order Flame Troopers. They all look clean and sleek. Um, I would love to see more content around the sort of side stories that go on uh, during that Resistance and during that First Order era. Because we saw that show, that that cartoon that they did for a while that was definitely more kid-centric. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it like Star Wars Resistance? Yeah. And Commander Pyre is a perfect example. Oh my gosh, Commander Pyre, so cool. 
got no screen time, but is one of my favorite, favorite looking stormtroopers. I love his like solid gold armor. And I loved Captain Phasma. And I want to see more about Captain Phasma and what her journey was. Love to see that stuff. Yeah, there are rumors that they're going to try and bring back Daisy Ridley for something. But not nothing concrete. It's kind of a grain of salt type stuff. But yeah. a lot of people are kind of disappointed in, in Finn's arc and the sequel trilogy. I mean, at the very end of Rise of Skywalker, we find out he's Force-sensitive. Yeah. And then you look back at his fight with Kylo Ren with the lightsabers, and it's like, okay, well, that makes more sense now that he was able to hang it just a little bit. And, of course, he had the baton training, too. So, I mean, it wasn't like he never held a weapon like that before that was similar. But I... that that would have been super cool to have him as a Jedi. And I think we were all anticipating uh-huh. that because we saw the trailers. We saw him with the legacy lightsaber. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we thought he was, like, going to be... It was going to be Ray probably, and it was going to be Finn. And yeah, maybe they would, it. like... I'm... Right on this train with you. I am on this train with you. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that I wanted. Like when Last Jedi came out, I I still like Last Jedi. It was basically just the formula of a new hope, right? But now we have this potential arc that's set up for John Boyega, which great actor. I love John Boyega. Um to to portray this stormtrooper turned Jedi, which is crazy because it's now we're seeing a different side of things where it's like, ah, the guy who is causing these problems, the guy who is causing fear and, and ripping things apart now sees the consequences of his actions as he's trying to turn over to the resistance. And he he could have had such a great arc trying to get over what he's done in his past to try to become his better self in the future. Mm-hmm. It would have been... Um, would have been a great strong male lead. I will say that. I I like Daisy Ridley. Um but I would have preferred to have seen John Boyega get that arc and then Daisy Ridley get her own thing because I think I think Daisy Daisy Ridley did a really good job as Rey. Yeah, yeah, she did a fantastic job. I I think she, she I think she's coming back to the franchise. It's just a matter of when and a matter yeah. of what the story is. I hope they don't wait 30 years to bring her back and she's just not physically able to to do yeah. some of her own work, you know. I will say this, like, say what you want about Ray, but she she is an iconic character. Yeah, uh, I totally Rey think is an so. iconic character. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, Ray is still iconic and incredibly popular. And I know that a lot of young girls are looking up to her as a positive role model. And that's great. That's awesome. That's what star Wars is like meant to do. Like, yeah. And if you look back at princess Leia or Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And if you look back at history, you look at the prequels, the prequels were bashed at the time by a lot of people and outlets. And then you look at them now, it's like, they're like very nostalgic. And it's like, what? It's like, (laughs) they're almost put on a pedestal. It's crazy because I remember like, my generation, I'm only 21. I grew up with the prequels. Right. Uh, I grew up as the prequels were coming out, and I remember loving them. I never saw any problems with them. But, man, they were so bashed on by so many people. Um, I might be a little biased because Attack of the Clones is my favorite Star Wars movie. But um, 
like I, I always enjoyed them and I never really saw the flaws in them that other people saw. And for that trilogy to be so iconic and remembered and loved by so many people is such a weird feeling to me. Yeah. Like how that transition happened. Yeah, it's an interesting case study. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people were expecting more OT and they got something totally different. And then I think with the sequel trilogy, it feels like maybe the history is like repeating itself in a way. So it's just kind of one of those things. It's <laughs> we'll see. Like time will tell. <laughs> that has been an interesting meme or an argument that people have been people have been bringing up uh, online. Is that like who knows? Maybe we don't see in the sequel trilogy what people 10, 20, 30 years are going to see in it. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, but we will be getting Star Wars movies in 2023, 2025, and 2027. So oh, I'm so excited. What and they are, I we don't know. Heard Except for Rogue Squadron. That they're thinking about um, doing things past the sequel trilogy? Is in, in talks? Yeah, we don't know what Rogue Squadron is going to be. And then, of course, the Taika project was set to be something that's not connected to Star Wars. And, of course, you have the Ryan Johnson trilogy, which at this point, I don't think anyone's expecting to be made. Um, but you never know. I mean, it, that might actually happen and will be very, very controversial <laughs> in, some, in some fandom. But yeah, um, some parts of the fandom, but <laughs> it would be interesting. I I was always in the corner of yeah, make something totally different, make put it in a different part of the galaxy, new worlds, new characters, and yeah, I mean that that could be a terrific story. Here's, here's the thing: like each director is going to be good at their own thing in regards to making movies. So with the star, the franchise's biggest star Wars, why can't we just hand these directors like movies and say, okay, here's the lore. Here's the Canon. Uh, Lucas, Lucas films is going to work with you on this. Go wild, make something. Mm -hmm. um, and I would be really curious to see what comes out of that. Like, I'd be really, really curious to see, like if if the director was able to like pick their own project and be like, oh yeah, I want to emphasize this side of Star Wars and and tell this story. I think that would be very interesting. Well, a few things. I think that's kind of happening. Like with Zack Snyder when he pitched his Rebel Moon idea, they turned him down. And it's yeah. Zack Snyder. I mean, he's a big time director, and of course, a lot of big time directors that Lucasfilm covets, they say, no, no, no I don't want to do Star Wars because that's that's a lot of pressure and that's going to be a lot of negativity put my way i because i know david fincher turned it down mm -hmm. david fincher turned it down brad bird turned it down he was really hot at the time uh I, i'm not sure if christopher nolan was approached but i think he said no way <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of directors yeah, that said it. yeah i'm not gonna touch that so when they got Gareth Edwards, he was that was like their first like really not huge name to sign on. Um, and then of course they had the Lord and Miller experience with Solo. They got fired very late in the game. 
and then we got Spider Verse out of that, so kind of worked oh. out. Um, can't wait for Spider Verse too. Yeah, I can't wait for that either. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's like they already took their chance and it kind of backfired. But I do think they got a lot of pitches from a lot of well-known people, and it's just green lighting the stuff. I think that's kind of the issue. But also the other thing that's occurred in the past recent few years is streaming with Disney Plus. They they want to pump that up. Disney wants yeah, to really make that. And, and I think it is kind of a competitor to Netflix, even though the numbers aren't there. I think Netflix maybe has them by... I want to say, I think the subscription base for Disney Plus right now is about 111 million subscribers. Wow. Which is like more than almost like a third of the country. Um, But I I think Netflix is, I don't know. Let let me look that up, actually. Yeah. Netflix subscribers. Made a I made a mistake before this podcast. I uh, forgot to turn the fan on in this room, and now it feels like I'm sitting in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get up and and, and change the your yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be rude. God, oh, yes, no, please. Fine. Give me five seconds. I'll be right back. Yeah, no problem. So it looks like I found it right here. It says in the fourth quarter of 2021, Netflix had about 75 million U.S. and Canadian subscribers. The subscriber base in these two countries accounts for the majority of Netflix worldwide streaming subscriber base, which in the four back. Yeah. So in the fourth of 2021 stood at around 221.8 million. So Netflix has double the amount of Disney plus subscribers, apparently. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I feel like. Because nerd nerddom is getting very popular, like nerd fan bases are sort of like coming in, like that's that's what's trending right now, right? So I feel like as that continues to grow, potentially we'll see we'll see more. But Netflix had a very early start, and they capitalize on what everyone loves: movies. Everyone loves movies of all different types, and Netflix was the first service to do that. So I feel like it's just kind of like breaking people's habits and getting them to this new service perhaps and you know not everyone's into not everyone's into star wars not everyone's into avengers not everyone's into the disney princesses and stuff like that you know so right right yeah i i agree with that i mean to compete with the netflixes of the world you got to take netflix programming and put it on disney plus which is what they're going to do they're actually going to put all the Netflix Marvel shows on Disney Plus here pretty soon. Oh, I cannot wait. Man, and, how um, cool would that be to see the those get rebooted? Some of those. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to reboot per se. We, we all know that Charlie Cox Daredevil will be in future Marvel stuff. But yeah, maybe they're going to treat it like, I don't know, it's part of the MCU. Which... Um, it's interesting because some of that stuff is mature content and apparently yeah, like they're going to make it to where you have to type in a code or something to watch the stuff. Okay, so so yeah, so when I was talking about coming up with a way to distinguish the content between potentially a new series of these Star Wars war movies, I think that's more along what I meant of like 
there needs to be a way to content gate that to prevent children from being able to access that mature content. Right. Like as much as I want to see those movies, I also don't want to see poor kids looking for Star Wars getting traumatized by something like <laughs> Rogue One. I yeah. also don't think we need that to be an issue. Um, and if well, I mean, they if they've seen that, Rogue One, like, it's yeah, like they've, they've grown great. up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I mean, it is PG-13. So, I mean, I presume that. what we would be talking about would be more along the lines of like rated R because, right. you know, war movies. Right, right. So, yeah. So that begs the question. It, I mean, does this kind of open up the window a little bit for Star Wars content to be a little bit more mature? I mean, that's Marvel's doing it. We're living in an age where something like um, adult cartoons are coming out now and they're becoming widely accepted. Uh, yeah, like, like yeah, Legend mature animation has been around for a while. And, and of course, The Simpsons, which was owned by 20th Century Fox, yeah. Disney now owns it. And I think you can watch that on Disney Plus. And I think some of the episodes were actually edited. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Oh, yeah, but... I believe it. Yeah, I mean, but there, I, there's so much I mean, content more like that they own. Mainstream content. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot more mainstream, mature um, anime, like animated shows that are coming out that are that are starting to climb and climb as far as ratings. It's kind of weird. Yeah, is that one Netflix series, uh, Arcane? Have you, Arcane. Have you heard of that? Is that sure? heard of it i don't know i haven't watched it i know it follows the stories of like league of legends and a lot of yeah. people really liked it i believe it's mature i'm uncertain how mature it is yeah because apparently that is getting like terrific reviews i tried watching it it's i couldn't huge. do it it's hard for me to watch animation but no i understand hey it's not for everyone but yeah. me like as myself i'm a i'm a big fan of animated series i want to see more i think that you can de- convey more in an animated series than you're able to live action it's just a different medium of content so what did you think of uh, star wars visions loved it i loved a lot of it um, i loved it too very it awesome. very mixed reviews yeah uh my hot take on that i like tattooing rhapsody i'll fight, I'll fight i liked it too that. yeah it was I thought pretty it was good. good. I, I, it fact, felt like I wasn't going to like it, but it worked. It worked for me. I'll go so far as to say, and I'm going to I'm gonna pull a, a call in really quick. <laughs> I want to see more Star Wars musicians. Give me a full series about Max Rebo. Give me a full <laughs> yeah. series about Alistair McCool, the legendary jizz whaler, and his <laughs> dulcet tunes from Tatooine. I want more about like the culture surrounding music in Star Wars because music is such a big thing in culture. Everyone loves music. Everyone likes to listen to music and feel something from that. And we already have like, we only have like two established music types in Star Wars. And that is jizz and rock punk because rock punk was established in the High Republic comics as being canon. So that they have like a rock and roll in the, the thing now. And why can't we get actual canonical songs that sound good in the Star Wars universe okay. via a 
via a series about a touring band that's just going through the galaxy trying to make it work. I feel like that'd be super entertaining. I agree with you, man. That that would be really cool. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, why don't they do more of these different kinds of stories? They have the platform on Disney Plus yeah. now. I mean, I they mean, know they, they'll yeah. have an audience regardless of what happens. They know that they will have an audience. It's it's almost as if there's no reason to not do this. Maybe except it, it might bomb or you know damage reputation, which you know is important, but. We have to keep taking risks. We have to keep moving forward. Like if we don't keep pushing this franchise forward and, you know, looking under every rock and going, oh, well, what's next? What's next? Then we're going to stagnate. Yep, that's true. That is totally true. And are you looking forward to a Visions 2 or a second season of Visions? I hope. I hope they do that. I want uh, a full series of the first episode of Vision. I want to see this dark sider Ronan that's going around just killing other Sith for the the sole purpose of killing other Sith because I don't think there's anything more Sith than that chasing that power curve or chasing whatever it is he was after trying to atone in some way yeah there is a novel there's a graphic novel I believe um Ooh. I've heard mixed reviews on that I'll but... take a look at it yeah the art style for that anime was was pretty cool i really liked it yeah that was uh the studio that did berserk so i was always looking forward to that i sort of like the newer berserk animated series that a lot of people didn't like but um i will say this i think an anime series or i'm sorry excuse me let me take a drink of water before i finish this thought (laughs) okay um I think a great series for or a great era for a Japanese animation company to do would be High Republic. I think that would that would work out very well. I think High Republic sort of has the vibes to set up for a really good anime story. Um sort of the the heroes overcoming the all all odds via the power of connection or friendship or unity or whatever it is because we see that um, when I believe it was Agent Kloss united all the Jedi around the galaxy to stop a giant fragment of a ship hitting a star, essentially. Yeah, I, stuff like that. It really feels like for Lucasfilm to really kind of legitimate legitimize the High Republic would be to put it in live action and to kind of really market it as a big time thing because I don't I don't think right now. I mean, not a lot of people want to take the time to read and figure out what's going on. But with Acolyte, I mean, that might drive some people to the series. But as of right now, it just doesn't feel like too many people outside of the people that were already going to invest in the High Republic are are really kind of looking into it. And I, I think it might really catch a lot of people by surprise. And of course, I mean, Yoda's in the stories. I mean, he's around and. Young Yoda too, which is something that a lot of people are curious about, especially OT fans. I know that original trilogy fans want to know where Yoda came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think that's that's on the table, but it, it's going to be interesting to see what their strategy is going forward. Um, 
after Acolyte. What are they going to do? And of course, we got the rumors of a High Republic series possibly being shot in the vein of like a Stranger Things type of vibe with a bunch of kids. Yeah. So, man. I don't know. We need to we need to get like a Lucasfilm executive in here at some point <laughs> and just be like, hey, so can you tell us how things work in the industry so we don't maybe sound dumb talking about this on a podcast? <laughs> no, I don't. No, man, uh, I, I, we're right on, man. I mean, I mean, we oh no, I think we're pitch. doing great. Yeah, people pitch their ideas. <clears throat> but I, I, I'd be very turned down. I'm very fascinated to see um, what uh, what it looks like from their perspective. And see and, and like really have a conversation with like, well, you know, this is how things work within the industry. And these are sort of the little the little niches that a lot of people don't see on the outside of that. Like, I, I would love to get their perspective on that. What would Star Wars look like 200 years from the rise of Skywalker? That's the content I'd love to see. Take it to the future. I agree. I agree. I'm very curious to see. Um, what what that all would look like when does star wars become a story about now in a galaxy far far away uh i don't know it's because it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and i know those discussions have happened Uh, are they ever going to connect it to earth and I mean, I, that's, I don't think that's ever mm. going to happen. I don't, I don't feel like that will happen. No. I don't know. Maybe never say never, I guess. But I mean, I feel like they've already found a way to tastefully connect Star Wars to Earth and what they've done with Galaxy's Edge and putting Batu on this planet. Um, Star Wars, 200 years from the rise of Skywalker. Whenever you start to talk about that, like things like that, it's only theory crafting, right? Because I'm sure that right. no one, no one even knows what they don't know about what the future of Star Wars is going to be. What is it? What does it look like? Why? Why do we keep moving forward? What's the purpose behind making a decision like that? Um, how does society progress? How do the fans want that society to progress? All of these questions need to be answered thoughtfully and truthfully for something like that to take off, right? So is it just planets turning into an arms race? Is it ships getting bigger and bigger and bigger until we're having star-destroying weapons, fighting star-destroying weapons? What is it that we want out of the future of Star Wars? that we can't tell in the current eras that we have or the previous eras before them. What is the overarching goal? I think. Yeah. See, I'm not so sure about um, Lucasfilm not wanting to take on that challenge. I think they're eventually going to take it on, but I think they're trying to just fill out the blank spots and what's already canon. Um, I know it, it kind of maybe looks that way, but I think they want to kind of just, in a way, tackle the fan favorites. And it feels like sometimes they're not doing that great of a job at it, but I think they're just trying to find the right stories and they're just kind of taking their time at it. And of course, we have a whole slate of shows that are going to drop. Lando being one of them, but not knowing when that's going to come out. 
But um, I think we definitely need people like Favreau and Filoni in charge of it to get it all straight. And, and I, uh, I will say this: like, I don't think it's because of a lack of trying. Like, whenever you judge any piece of Star Wars content, you're you're judging it on a. Um, oh, I just lost a word. Um, it's not objective; it's all subjective, right? Like, all art is subjective, right. and right. you you get out of it what you put into it. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe something turns out bad, but you have to keep in mind that there is still someone behind that project who is trying to put their heart and soul into that project. And whether that was something that goes wrong within the writing room, you know, like we're all human. We all make mistakes at the end of the day. Star Wars is still just content. They're still just stories. They're, they're meaningful and they mean something to us and they connect us, but you know, you can't you have to be very careful about lashing out and throwing your negative feelings onto the people who are, are making these pieces, right? Like separate art from its creator. That's the most important thing, especially now in the media age. Right. Yeah. It's super hard to make a movie and it's probably even harder to make a great star Wars film. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree with that statement. I just think about the amount of pressure that J.J. Abrams had on his shoulders to to create The Force Awakens. I mean, it must have been ridiculous. I mean, it makes sense now looking back at it that he basically redid A New Hope in a, in a certain point of view. But, I mean, just to, just to have that type of pressure on you. And he yeah. was about to go on vacation with his family, too. <laughs> and he put off vacation to do episode I mean... seven. Daisy Ridley, like getting death threats and whatnot. A lot of the cast members getting getting threats from fans and whatnot. It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's never meant to be taken that seriously. Star Wars, Star Wars will never be good enough to harass other people. I don't think, for me at least. And I love Star Wars. Like it's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, circling back to that question really quick. I, I agree with you, David. I, I don't think that Lucasfilm is scared of that challenge. I think they'll get there eventually. I'm sure that they want to. Yeah. I think they're just being very selective of the projects. They do decide to tackle and yeah, they're they're kind of in a tough spot. I mean, fans are very demanding. Oh, sorry. Continue. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the fans are very demanding and critical. And, of course, with the internet, that doesn't help a whole lot. And, of course, people think that they're going to go a certain way with with maybe leaning towards, like, the feminine side of Star Wars. or And they're not doing Star Wars justice and not having the main character being a, a uh, more, more on the masculine side. Because, I mean, you look at the original trilogy, it's like, I mean, you had Leia there. I mean, she was part of the big three. And to me, it's it, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's like, do you want to remake in a way? In a way, they did. I mean, The Force Awakens is very similar to A New Hope, but ha- having a female protagonist was something that was different and unique. And I think we all wanted to see it in the end, you know? I mean, it mm-hmm. to me, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that took away. And I mean... But I mean, some people have these conspiracy theories, and 
it, it's it's yeah. kind of funny, but I mean, it's <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff can seem a certain way, but it probably really isn't in the end. I mean, there's so many people that have to put their stamp of approval on it, you know, and it's just it's just 100%. kind of one of those things. It's like you want to be different, but you don't want to stray too far away from what the thing that you're actually creating is, you know? Yeah. Art is, uh, art is so difficult. Again, at the end of the day, it's all subjective and everyone's going to have their own opinion about it. And then maybe sometimes one opinion just shines out and rings over the other. And then everyone comes to that same conclusion online and then they talk about it. And then look what happens with the sequel trilogies. You, you have, you, exactly what happened with the single trilogies happens when that sort of hive starts to talk and and buzz about it and start going after it and in 20 years from now you're gonna hear people say well the best star wars film is the rise of skywalker (laughs) the last jedi (laughs) (laughs) well a lot of people say that already so yeah (laughs) some people yeah hey and that's okay that's a hundred percent okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You are allowed to like the sequel trilogies. Please like the sequel trilogies. It's all Star Wars. We're all here for the same thing. Um, but two hundred years in the future, Star Wars. I have no idea, man. I can't even begin to predict. I mean, we're talking about higher public right now, and that's a hundred years or so. I think right before the prequels. And they have like uh, about 200 years before Phantom Menace is when I think Acolyte is going to take place. And that's the tail end uh, of the High Republic. I don't know. I'm not good with dates. I'm just good at memorizing some of the story piece. But <laughs> we've got starfighters that Jedi are like plugging their lightsabers into the little vectors. And yeah. that's really cool. So, I mean, I don't know. What is in 200 years from Star Wars? What 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 is going to be the next big thing? Are we going to have more white and black armored soldiers going after each other, like clone troopers, stormtroopers, or stormtroopers? Um, are we gonna are we gonna have this big resistance? What what is that story going to be about? Is it going to be a, about the rise of this uh, a new Sith Empire? Is it going to be about the rise of a new Jedi Order? Well, yeah, what, what one of the things I think people want to see on screen is a Sith army. I think that's another thing that they haven't tackled yet. I'm, a Sith army versus a Jedi army. I am sure we will get to the Old Republic eventually. I know that Lucasfilm is just biding their time. I know they are waiting to take a chunk out of that. But I think they want to focus in and hone in on the stories that people want to be told before they go to tackle something as big as Old Republic. Because it, as much as I hate to say it and as much as I hate to admit it, um, Old Republic is going to be a very touchy subject for a lot of people because now you're getting into the the very hardcore fan base of Star Wars. Yeah, the people that play the RPG, but then again, the people that played the iconic Xbox video game that came out with uh, Revan. Yeah, Knights um, of the Old Republic. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, you, Which you delve into that. Remastered. Right. Yeah, it's being remastered. And I'm sorry, remade, not remastered. They're completely remaking it, I believe. No, I think it's, it's a remaster. Like, I was told that they're like going to be messing with the mechanics and or not mechanics, but like modernizing the mechanics and making it feel smoother, which technically qualifies as a remake. Yeah. I think. 
technically a remaster, but I think a remaster is like visuals only. I don't know. I don't yeah. know where the lines are drawn, but sorry, continue. So yeah, Josh writes in, this is literally the only Star Wars podcast I can listen. Genuine Star Wars fans. And you guys pull me in when I feel disconnected with the franchise. Thank you and keep it rolling. Well, thanks, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, Josh, he has um, yeah, he has a, so much. He has a YouTube channel of his own and he talks about all kinds of stuff. Fandom. I know, I know he's been I think he's doing like a whole bat week thing. Um because yeah, today is actually uh, the Batman Eve. I know oh, everyone's gonna hear this podcast on a Thursday. If you hear it the first day it's out, that'll be the first day Batman's out. But yeah, Matt Reeves actually grew up with J.J. Abrams, and they were like really close friends. And, oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> I have a horrible, horrible confession to make to you in front of a live audience. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. There's no turning back now. <laughs> I've never seen a Batman movie. Oh wow. Yeah. Let that sim in for a little bit. That's okay. You I think I've seen that's, every that's single episode of everything made Batman. I've I've seen the Adam West stuff. I I've seen the to. Batman animated series. I'm sure that I would love it. I just never sat down and carved out a, a piece of time to watch <laughs> Batman. The only thing that well, I've you were seen reading, is right? Holy Musical Batman. Yes, yeah. I've, I've been reading the High Republic books uh, religiously. <laughs> I definitely gonna be ready for some content well see i don't uh, think I, I would have ever seen the adam west stuff if it wasn't for my brother um he's 15 years older than me and he grew up with that and like one day i think back in the 90s he's like you want to go you want to see the batman show and i'm like what i'm like there's a batman show so we went to the video store we rented vhs tapes i think they made a batman movie from the tv show we watched okay, that yeah. first and I was like, oh, okay. Gee, and then it just so Batman. happened. Yeah, it just so happened after that when we did have cable, I think uh, that there was, a, there was a channel called the Family Channel that was later bought by ABC Disney. And they would show episodes every night, like at 9.30, like right before I had to go to sleep. So I'd watch them before I would go to sleep. And sometimes on a little black and white TV that my brother had. And that was what I was looking forward to at night was seeing those episodes. And then occasionally you would get an episode with Batgirl in it. And that was pretty cool, too, to see Batman, Robin, Batgirl going up against the Joker and the whole rogues gallery. And it was it was pretty cool. That's that's, cool. that's when I learned that, that like, cool. Burgess Meredith was like the first penguin that blew my mind because I was a huge Rocky <laughs> fan. So. Yeah, and I think. in The Force Awakens. They actually, this is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, but okay, JJ Abrams allowed them to put the Batman tumbler attached to the bottom of the Millennium Falcon as like an Easter egg. Are you egg. serious? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think the way Wait, it went hold was, on. no, you're messing yes. with me. <laughs> no, go, you, you can Google it, go look it up. I so, need you to send me so this. Zack Snyder did a thing where he had stormtroopers arresting one of the characters from from batman <laughs> and then as like a nod back jj put a he did he didn't put Zack snyder's batmobile he put christopher nolan's tumbler <laughs> underneath the millennium Fa yeah it, it's kind of weird oh that's funny and i that's think that kind of goes up there with having like in sync in attack of the clones in the final battle <laughs> what are you serious you didn't know about that 
No. So, so yeah, in sync was was like this, this close to being in the movie. every time. Yeah. Justin Timberlake and the rest of them were almost in as Jedi in that final like arena battle scene in Attack of the Clones. Which that there was so much fan outrage with that. They're like, no, don't do it. They're a passing thing. This band is not gonna be a lasting band. <laughs> don't do it. Jokes on them. Jokes on them. Instinct <laughs> is still popular. Well, well, not really. Not Timberlake became a pretty good actor, but yeah. yeah, a lot of people love Timberlake. I mean, hey, I mean, they still have a hit song that a lot of people listen to that I will sure remember the name of later. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Josh added to it. He said, "With that being said, yes, Star Wars: The Next Generation bring that fresh storylines, new stakes. What's uh, the Republic like, etc." What's so? Yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of ripping on Star Trek there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they do what need to. What do you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, they went backwards with the High Republic and did the whole Nile invasion thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of creative people out there. Um, their stories out there, man. They can do it. I mean, it's just for yeah. me personally, it feels like it's just a matter of time, and we're we're in a section of of the actual creation timeline where they're just not down to tackle that. I think. Several yeah. things need to happen, I think. I think that's going to be a, a group collaborative effort to push into something new like that. It's going to be like, okay, we're going to need all hands on deck. So all of right. our, our writers, it's... all of our creative directors, all of our directors, um, I think are all going to be in that one big funnel point where they jump forward and do something with that. And I think that that's going to be the exact same going backwards to the old Republic. <sighs> yeah, I think it's going to be a terrifying proposition, but... I mean, they kind of already did it in the reverse way with the old Republic. So yeah. just go into the future. I mean, it's go forward. Yeah, you can you can tackle a whole lot more storylines. There, there's so many storylines out there. I mean, so many different characters you can just create, and that's what I was saying with the Ryan Johnson the the Ryan Johnson trilogy. I mean, he was he was going to create something brand new. And of course, he did the Last Jedi, and to me, it to me that that I mean, it, he probably shouldn't have done the Last Jedi <laughs> because now we're not probably going to get this this trilogy of just brand new everything, which could have been spectacular. But Who knows when it comes to stuff like that, yeah. right? Like, uh. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Disney will will eventually come to terms with sort of what happened with the sequel trilogy and be like, all right, well, we're going to have to deal with this at some point or another. Yeah, and I think he adds, if they don't mess up Grogu, Grogu I, can be that storyline. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. I I don't know. Mess up is a strong word. Again, like art, art is subjective. We'll see what happens. Like I'm sure Grogu is going to get a good storyline, but who knows what Grogu's storyline is going to get. The only thing we know about him is that he is wee babby and that he is protected by his father, the Mandalorian. Yeah. But I saw some fans that were, that were to. not pleased by the fact that Grogu showed up in the book of Boba Fett. And I'm kind of scared of Grogu fatigue at this point. Um, that would be interesting to see if they actually stuck him in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and maybe show the rest of that Order 66 rescue. I don't know. I, I don't know how I would kind of feel about that. I mean, personally, I wouldn't really 
care either way. I mean, if I it, it, it would be it would I be a little dicey. I don't yeah. think that I want to see Grogu and Obi Wan. I feel like that. I feel, and me as a person, I feel like that would detract from the story that they're trying to tell. I feel like the the what we want as fans is for the focus to be on Obi Wan and what he's doing between what he's done in Clone Wars and where we see him in Rebels. I think is next, right. right? Or you know, new trilogy or whatever, um, or the original trilogy. And how he's going to cope with everything that he's been through. Yeah, I think we got a long time with Grogu as an infant, as a 50, 60, 70 year old infant, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's the Grogu thing is interesting. I mean, the kids now that love him are going to grow up and they're going to. Basically, that that's that's their Star Wars. It's not Luke Skywalker. It's not Han Solo. It's or Princess Leia. It's it's Grogu now. It's Grogu. It's the Mandalorian. Yeah, but I think. Yeah, can oh, we see Obi Wan reset R two? R two. What exactly do you mean by reset R two? Yeah, doesn't doesn't R two go all the way through without getting any kind of memory wipe? I think that's what they always kind of insinuated. Um, but yeah, that, that would add a different dimension to what R2 actually knows and doesn't tell everyone. <laughs> because it's kind of like a running joke that, yeah, like R2 could have like told Luke Skywalker, hey, look, Darth Vader is really your father. I <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Because yeah, C3PO's uh, mind was wiped point- several times. I was so. going to say, at, at this point, with C-3PO knowing, like, the ancient language of the Sith, I kind of wouldn't be surprised with, about <laughs> anything in regards to the droids. You know, it feels like they're not going to retcon a whole lot of stuff in Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's what it feels like to me. But, I mean, you never know. I mean, they might do all kinds of craziness. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm excited for Obi Wan, and I I don't want to ruin it by speculating too much about it. I don't want to set myself up for any expectations going into it. I'm I'm just gonna be excited and ride the hype train when it comes. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of leaks and rumors have dropped on Obi Wan Kenobi recently. So, yeah, be careful on the internet if you don't want to know. But. Yeah, All right, sure. yeah, I think that's it for this uh, episode of the podcast. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, address before we exit here? Uh, that uh, that that comment that came up a little bit ago that was like, "Hey, you know, thank you for doing this. This reconnects me to the franchise. Uh, give that a little more love. Like, absolutely, this is what we're yeah. here for. This is what we love to do. This is um, like all this is." And, and I say it a lot and I, I'm going to keep saying it because I, I truly believe in it. But like, this is a way to connect people, you know, across the world. This is something meaningful. This is a franchise that has changed people's lives. I know it's changed my life. Um, I wouldn't be pursuing acting if it weren't for Star Wars. I wouldn't be, you know, gunning it real hard. I wouldn't have the friends that I have today that I'm so thankful for without Star Wars. 
Um, and I'm glad that, you know, we get to contribute that and, and give you a sliver of that and, and can reconnect you with the, the fans around you that are all wondering these, these same things and all, you know, ruminating on what's, what's going to happen. I'm glad that we get to be a piece of that connection. Yeah. That's what I think the podcast is all about. And that's why I always wanted to talk about star Wars, but yeah, if you want to uh, interact with us further, you can always go to our Instagram at star Wars stuff podcast. We're on Twitter at stuff pod. We're on TikTok as well. Facebook, of course, we have a page and a group where we have some pretty uh, funny memes and uh, bits of information occasionally. Of course, we have Patreon. If you go to Star Wars Stuff Podcast 2187, you can find a lot of our commentaries for shows, for movies, special podcasts that we've done uh, separate that are only available on Patreon. And of course, if you want to contact us, we're at Star Wars Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know your that. thoughts and feelings. Yeah, I suspect that Colin will eventually try to get that changed to maxrebo at aol.com. <laughs> We're currently trying to fight him on that. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, on Spotify, we know we have a lot of Spotify listeners. You can actually give us a five star rating. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, write a review. The reviews are awesome. I mean, it's great feedback, it's great constructive criticism. Um, let us know what you want us to do. I, I know there's a recent review stating that you need to do more for your listeners. What do, you, what do you want us to do for you? What would you like to see? I mean, we do giveaways now and then when we have uh, the funds. Right now, we're actually purchasing a lot of merch for Celebration. So I know um, our, our top-tier patrons are going to get that merch. So um, they just need to let us know. And I'm going to send that out to them as soon as I have everything. Um, but, um, yeah, also watch us on YouTube. Like and subscribe. I think we're at 650 subscribers right now. Once we, uh, I think our kind of goal right now is about a thousand. Uh, once we do a thousand, we're probably going to do a whole lot more stuff on YouTube. And of course, we have a website, stuffpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can check out our bios and uh, click on all the social media links and uh, find us there. And of course, we are also on Twitch. Uh, Colin and James actually played a few rounds of Battlefront 2. And uh, they basically are doing a podcast while playing. So. I am eventually going to join into that. I don't know when. So I have to see how my schedule works out, but I will eventually be joining them and doing that. I'm playing a lot of Battlefront recently. I'm practicing. So I'm excited. Nice. So from Mason, my name is David. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you, always. Always.